Welcome to the Armada EW podcast with your host, Tom Withington, at the controls. The United States and Soviet Union poured billions of dollars into signals intelligence satellites during the Cold War. These spacecraft were an invulnerable and invaluable means of collecting SIGINT from their rivals, yet much of their work was in secret. Today, three decades on from the end of the Cold War, we're starting to learn more about the work of these satellites as documents are declassified and experts share their stories. We're delighted to be joined today by Dr. Dwayne Day. Dwayne is a space historian and he joins us all the way from Washington, D.C. Dwayne, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. So when did you become interested in Cold War space SIGINT history and what sparked this interest? So back in the 1980s, there was a book uh, called Deep Black, which was written by a New York Times journalist by the name of William Burroughs. And Burroughs really went into kind of a broad history of the development of intelligence satellites in the United States. He also covered things like the U-2 and the SR-71. And the book was a bestseller. Uh, I read it and I thought it was really fascinating. And it was something that that kind of sparked my interest uh, in these kinds of programs. Now, there was very little in there on signals intelligence, and it was more focused on the reconnaissance, the, the photo reconnaissance side of the, the, the equation. But it, it just sparked an interest that continued once, once I was in graduate school and uh, once the, in 1995, the first reconnaissance program, the Corona program was declassified. And I just became more and more interested in, in these efforts because here was an, in a whole big side of the space program. And I was very interested in the space program ever since I was a kid. And that's what I went to grad school for. But here was a whole side of the space program where there had been hundreds of launches and hundreds of satellites and billions of dollars that had been spent and very little had been written publicly about it. You mentioned there the declassification of some of the source materials. I was wondering how important has that been in helping you with your research? It's been invaluable. It it was not possible to write about any of this stuff with any kind of authority until the declassifications happened. Before that, it was a lot of speculation. It was a lot of kind of piecing together the edge pieces of a puzzle and not knowing what was in the center. And it was only with the declassification of large amounts of documents and then the ability of people to actually participate in interviews and talk about their experiences that it became possible to, I would say, kind of professionalize the study of this, this subject. And the, the big uh, event was in 1995 with the corona declassification. More information was declassified throughout the 90s. And then in 2011, there were two more photo reconnaissance programs that were declassified. They were the Gambit and the Hexagon programs, uh, both very important satellites. Signals intelligence, however, was for the most part not acknowledged uh, even into the 2000s. They wouldn't, the National Reconnaissance Office, which managed these programs, they would not even admit that they did that uh, for, for most of this time. And it really has only been since around 2016 that they've actually started to declassify documents 
and a little bit of information on their signals intelligence efforts. In the late 90s, they declassified the GRAB program. And GRAB was really the first signals intelligence satellite in the United States. And that was actually managed by the National, the Naval Research Lab as part of the National Reconnaissance Office. They, they were a participant in the NRO. So that program was declassified in the late 90s. But for the most part, it's only been in the past six or seven years that we've started to get more information out on other aspects of signals intelligence collection from space. Now, what have been your most surprising revelations regarding space-based SIGINT so far? I would say there's probably two that I've found really surprising. One was the the revelation around 2016 or so of a program called AFTRAC, which stood for Aft Rack of the Agena spacecraft. So the Agena was a workhorse spacecraft. It carried photo reconnaissance cameras into orbit, uh, starting with the Corona and then the Gambit. And the first Coronas were launched in late 1959, throughout the 60s into the early 70s. The Gambits were launched in the 60s out into the middle 1980s. And the Agena provided the power and the stabilization for the cameras. And what they revealed in recent years is that there were electronic payloads attached to the after rack of the, the Agena. And these were for detecting uh, radar signals coming out of the Soviet Union. They were for detecting uh, communications and other electronic emissions. And it turns out that they were putting uh, dozens of these things into orbit uh, pretty much throughout the 1960s. Uh, I think that the AFTRAC program started around 1960, and the last one was technically in 1964, but then they kind of evolved into other things. And that was something we knew almost nothing about. I think that had been, uh, now it was obscure, not just classified, it was obscure, but uh, to find out that almost every time they put a reconnaissance satellite into orbit, it had a signals intelligence uh, payload attached was interesting. Now, AFTRAC was also very limited in its capabilities because the, the photo reconnaissance mission only lasted a couple of days at most for early on. So you put this, this SIGINT payload into orbit, and then as soon as the main mission was over, they deorbited the spacecraft and, and the SIGINT payload was lost. It was no longer operative. So they then evolved into putting those payloads onto small satellites that they then ejected off of the aft rack of the Agena. And we knew something about that uh, because once it went into orbit as a separate payload, you people started to ask questions. Well, what is it doing? But the fact that there had been payloads attached to the to the Corona and to the Gambit uh, spacecraft. That was new. That was kind of eye-opening to me. I think the other interesting revelation, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, is the degree to which going after anti-ballistic missile radar uh, signals became a primary uh, goal of this program starting around the mid-1960s or so. I was kind of surprised at, at how much effort they put into that. It, it really became a, a major push, and they started to launch more payloads uh, specifically to find those, those radars, which were very difficult to detect. An air search radar is on almost all the time. So, uh, you know, you're always looking to, for the aircraft, but an anti-ballistic missile uh, radar was not. It, it would be turned on and turned off, and, and if, if you don't have a satellite overhead when it's on, you're going to miss that signal. 
And there was a major push starting starting in 65, 66 to gather up those signals to determine if the Soviet Union was developing an ABM system that would, would be effective. And what is now coming out in some of the documents, and the information is still very sparse, but uh, what is now coming out is that they, they got a very good handle on that, uh, on that intelligence subject by the late 1960s. And so that effort really paid off. And how do you think the use of space for SIG and collection during the Cold War influences its use today for the same purpose? It's always been vital. And it's, it's a little hard to, to kind of figure out uh, where we are today because by the early systems were all in low Earth orbit. Uh, in, in the 1960s, they all operated only a, a few hundred kilometers above the Earth. And then by the by the late 1960s into the early 1970s, they started to go to much higher orbits. They went to geosynchronous orbit where it could, it could essentially sit over one location in the globe and gather up signals from there. It's really, all that stuff is still classified. It's really hard to understand what they can and cannot do from those, those higher orbits. And so um, it gets very murky, deliberately so, you know, they don't want people to know about the capabilities. I have heard, however, that the capabilities are quite uh, impressive. And however, if, if you think about the overall signals intelligence collection effort, we still use airplanes, you know, they still use, uh, they still do periphery flights. There are still RC-135 ribbit joint flights. And there are still smaller aircraft that are packed with antennas to pick up signals. So obviously, not everything is done from geosynchronous orbit. Not everything is done from space. And how that all, you know, what can and cannot be done from high orbit, what best done from close up, it's a hard picture to untangle. Finally, what areas and subjects are you still keen to shed more light on? So there was a program that entered service in the in the early 1970s called JumpSeat, and JumpSeat appears to have initially been developed to uh, to go after the anti ballistic missile radar signals. And I'd really like to know more about that because they were doing that in low Earth orbit, and then they they developed a, a, a much bigger satellite. To, and these were not in geosynchronous orbit; these were in a very highly highly elliptical, uh, high altitude orbit. And and I'd love to know more about that. I'd love to know how how that fit into the overall intelligence collection picture, because by the early 1970s, the U.S. intelligence community had determined that the Soviet ABM system was not really a threat. And yet we were building these big, expensive satellites to collect information on them. And so I'm, I'm curious as to, as to how that fit into their, their intelligence requirements and then how those requirements evolved. Well, Dwayne, it's an absolutely fascinating area. I'm looking forward to more of your analysis and dissection, um, which we can find, I believe, at uh, thespacereview.com. So, Dwayne, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And don't forget, there's more EW news and analysis at armadainternational.com slash electronic hyphen warfare. That's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for listening.